Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Hello, Henry. Knock, What's happening? Knock, knock. It's on. This mic is on. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm making it somehow. We're still in this. We're still in the game. Yes. We're still doing the show. Sometimes it even feels like we're doing the show two times in a row. And sometimes we are doing it two times in a row. Should we tell the people? Yeah, I guess we should tell the people what happened. We did this whole entire show, two, what, two weeks ago? We did. Uh, for February 1982. We had it all in the can, and we're using um, an SD card, right? It's a very tiny little thing. I don't know if... It's a mi- Henry, it, let's be correct. It's a micro SD card. Okay? Right. A micro SD card that you put in, you know, put in a little tiny slot on the back of the roadie podcast. Is it roadie or road? I call it a roadie, but I have no idea. Because, you know, like when you see people doing podcasts, they always have that equipment. And I'm like, oh, there's a roadie. I know. I feel like we're the guys that if we were around the real (laughs) professionals, I'd be like, "Uh, it's a road. Okay. Anyway, so what had happened was in the shuffle, and as Chris was getting ready to mix us down and get us out, we realized that the T90 little card is missing. Yep. It's fallen out, fallen out someplace. We and anything could have happened to it. It's so small, you could easily overlook it or pick it up in your shoe and track it out, and nobody'd ever know. It's gone. And so February of '82, the original is is gone. So this is going to be February of '82 2.0. Say so, so. We're going to do it again. And honestly, it's been long enough that we might say what we wanted to say better. <laughs> or, 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 yeah, I haven't even looked at the notes again, so this may sound more fresh than the way we did it the last time. Your thoughts may have more clarity now. That's right. That you, like, we've gone over them once, but we can't quite remember what they are, but we could probably be even more succinct. <laughs> like, what a show that normally would have lasted an hour is now going to be, like, 45 minutes. I have a feeling this one's going to be an hour. <laughs> Okay, so, so. And, and here it all happens, you know, but it's almost perfect timing because honestly, our big departure from the show is going to be dealing with an entire album. Yeah. So our, our next show after this one, this is our last regular show before we introduce a new special type of episode, which there'll yeah. be four of for 1982. And that is a single album episode where we cover what we think is one of four um, albums from that year that are so significant that they deserve their own episode. And the first one, Henry, mm-hmm. is what? It is uh, The Message, an LP by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And this was not, this was picked in advance. I mean, way way we in did advance. Not, yeah, this is way before all the troubles. Right. So we're, um, as we're recording so, right now, um, we are in the midst of the, uh, what would you call it, Henry? The Black Lives Matter uprising or the police brutality? The police brutality uprising, the Black Lives Matter uprising, uh, their marches all in in all the major cities around the United States. The reaction to the George Floyd murder. 
Right. Uh, and and uh, yeah, lit off, really, by the George, George Floyd murder, but about so much more. Right. And, and, I, and I don't know about you, Henry, but I've, the research I've done so far for the message, I think that album has a lot to say about the same issues and what's going on uh, in America. Yeah. So I think it'll be a really cool so episode. It, yeah, it will be. And, but it landed like squarely on us. And so and I do need time to figure out what, what the show should sound like and, what, and, all, and put it in context and talk with you guys about it. It's not something that I want to throw out lightly. You know, <laughs> no, it won't. It won't exactly be a hundred percent easy uh, to switch yeah. show type, especially with an album with that kind of significance with what's going on right now. Let's go ahead, Henry, and take a walk back down memory lane to February of 1982, and get ourselves in the mood for talking about these records. Ah, uh, I'm settling right into February of '82 <sighs> in my mind. It feels so much nicer than where we're at before. I almost don't want to go back. <laughs> but I'm Henry, eleven years old, right. trouble free, <laughs> trouble free. Um, so Henry, uh, late night with David Letterman debuted in February of 1982 on NBC. So, do you did you watch it from the moment that it came out? I I, I would like to say I did, but I did not. However, I did have an older brother who was at that age where I think he was the target demo. So it was the late, like late, late show. Right? Yeah, it was so like it went the evening news from 11 to 11.30. Then Johnny Carson was an hour, right, with the Tonight Show. Oh, that's right. That's and then right. it was so, uh, Carson 12.30. Then, yeah. yeah. And he basically created the time slot. Like n- nobody cared what happened after that point in time up until that show. And I think a lot of channels just went to the flag. Remember that where they would just show the flag and yes. play the yes, national I anthem? Do. Kids today probably don't remember that at all, but... That's crazy. Uh, I mean, there was a time when the TV did just turn off, turn itself off. That's right. And they're right. like, just go to bed. <laughs> or you'd wake up and the national anthem was playing. So that's kind of Yes, weird. right. You'll wake up in the wee hours of the morning and it was just a flag. <laughs> uh, Henry, also the movie on Golden Pond was number one at the box office in February of 1982. The Fondas. The Fondas. Jane, yep. Jane and her dad, uh, Henry. Right, and uh, I should have looked this up since it's the second time we're recording, but I believe that was his final movie. Yep, yep, it was his last one. Um, all right, Henry, so that's uh, that's the significant events for February of 1982. Do you want to cover some records now? Absolutely. All right, hold on to your hat. Here we go back. Oh, yeah, we're back. I can feel the pressure and the anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like hot coals yeah. creeping upon me. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Pressure from all sides. <laughs> let's uh, let's start with uh, the first mask thing we're going to cover. Mask back on. Oh, it's terrible. Okay, so here we are. We're the first band we're going to cover uh, is a band called Haircut One Hundred, and the album is called Pelican West, and this song is called Love Plus One. <laughs>
Okay, so this album started, and the first thing that I thought was, who the hell let Dylan Fence in here? Okay, Dylan Fence was, if anybody remembers, maybe only North Carolina people know this. I like but, I, I like how two times in a row you referenced a band that is more obscure than Haircut 100. <laughs> perfect, really? perfect analysis, Henry. But go for it. Yes. Okay, so but I mean, but anyway. fuck it. More than half our audience probably lives in North Carolina, so they know. <laughs> they probably don't know. It, it, Dylan Fence is a band from Chapel Hill. that Put out like three, four, five records, and um, we used to go see them all the time. When we were kids. And so the minute this came on. Like the first two songs, I was like, oh my God, Dylan Fence listened to Haircut 100. But they were smart enough to get rid of these fucking horns. Those things are annoying as hell. Again, Henry and the 80s horns are always, always at war. But the problem was, it's like, it wasn't like the, you know, like Genesis has those punctuation marks that you like. Where it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I Can love I? those. I love those. Yeah. Yeah, you love that shit. I can't stand it. At least it's not that. <laughs> you know, if you'd asked me, by the way, if you'd asked me when we started the show that the running theme would be Genesis or Phil Collins the entire time, I never would have guessed it. But <laughs> There's always a connection. It always loops back to that. But yeah, uh, so I, I, I kind of, after you said that the last time we recorded, I, I hear a lot of uh, Haircut 100 and Dylan Fence. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I... I like, well, not maybe. I like Dylan Fence quite a bit better. There's a problem for me, Henry, uh, with Haircut 100, which is I can't really reference what they're going for. And I know that shouldn't be a problem. You should just be able to listen. But uh, I I struggled because we we covered the week before a band called The English Beat, um, which I think made something that sounded similar but but cooler. The English Beat album is like something you'd want to put on as a background music at a party. And yeah, but, I, this but, one, I don't what, think I would. What the hell is a Pelican West? See, to me, is that a, it sounds like somebody's posh neighborhood. Or like, it sounds to me like a place in the, like a Caribbean. And I yeah. feel like they might be going for that a little bit because there is definitely like a tiki lounge bar kind of feel to this album, which well, is very strange. The, let me give you a rundown of the names they were before they were Haircut 100. Okay. They were known as Rugby. Okay, they're very English. Then they were known as Boat Party. Okay, now I see where we're going now. And then Captain Pennyworth. Definitely a Yacht Rocky kind of theme. And lastly, as Moving England. Anyway, so their whole shtick was like they would dress up like frat guy dress up. To me, this band sounded like the backup band in every crappy nighttime drama on the networks. Like they could have yeah, been, they could have been the band in the background at the love boat or fantasy Island or Miami vice. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, they were bouncy, right. And kind of frivolous sounding, but not, not, I, that the, the yeah. weird thing though, Henry was, I, I was expecting it to be that way and be refreshingly like this was kind of that way in a cool way, but it's not. In my opinion, yeah. I this one song that we played, the the hit there, Love Plus One, is about the most tolerable, to me, song on the album. Uh, I, I did find, Henry, after digging a little bit, that they were heavily influenced by a band called Orange Juice. Do, mm. do you remember Orange Juice? Uh, yeah, for some reason, I've run across them before. It might have been in research, but they weren't, they didn't really 
um, they weren't high on my radar even. Well, orange uh, juice, if you went back and listened to them, um, orange juice sounds more like an indie version of this. So it was uh, orange juice sounded almost like a, a cooler version of this. But um, there was a guy in Orange Juice by the name of Edwin Collins. Do you remember Edwin Collins? Name sounds familiar. Uh, Edwin Collins also had a solo hit. That was, oh, yeah. That was sort of a, it's called A Girl Like You. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, but this doesn't sound like that at all. Oh, no, no. That was after Edwin Collins. This was years, years and later. But, but, but he was the guy in Orange Juice. That's right. And Orange Juice, Henry, okay. does sound like uh, Haircut One. Let me get that straight. Haircut 100 does sound like an orange juice ripoff band. If you were, mm-hmm. if you took orange juice and said, how can we make this even more, uh, <laughs> more cotton candy and more ready for backing band in a nighttime soap opera. <laughs> and, and just, just by saying all that, I hope you get the, the point that I don't like this album very much. Wait, so, I mean, these guys were very popular. Right. This this record for some reason was very popular. Well, I don't know it, why. And Henry, it's one of those things too where we've seen this time and time again with bands we liked in the nineties. They got they had a big hit first record and then uh, the main guy gets, I think, kind of a big head and decides I've got to mm-hmm. go solo. And that didn't work at all. And so really they only ever put this album out plus I think one more without the main guy and it didn't work very much at all. So this was kind of a one album band. And oh, one of the things I did when I did the initial research of this, I'll tell folks. Remember they did with VH1, like in the early 2000s, they did Bands Reunited. Oh, yeah. And they had, a guy, that, yeah. They, they had a guy that would go around and reunite all these bands. They did that with Haircut 100. But I remember they, that. I remember that they did Haircut 100. They, uh, they got together nine years even after they did that one show and then rekindled their friendship like – in 2004, 20 years after the split, they did Bands Reunited, and then they got together again via Facebook and um, and did a, a few shows in January of 2011 playing Pelican West in its entirety. You know what might be a cooler idea, Henry? What? What if we got Dave Navarro to host a show and we got a band back together where the singer had died, and then we pick the singer, I don't know, like... Um, American Idol or something like that. Maybe maybe a band like NXS. Do you think that would work? <laughs> you remember that show? Probably wouldn't work, would it? Rockstar or whatever it was. Did that and didn't rekindle their career at all. Mm, that was a bad move. All right, that Henry. Wor- that was the worst. It was you- the stupidest thing. Ugh. Henry, do you have anything else to say about Pelican West? No, I'm good. 100? Thumbs down. Thumbs down for this. Yeah, thumb, y'all, thumb, don't, y'all, y'all don't need to listen to this. Yeah, thumbs down for me as well. Henry, could you introduce the uh, next record? Chris, I would be delighted. <laughs> Let her rip. Uh, the next record we're going to listen consider is from a guy named Lou Reed, who did an album called The Blue Mask, and we're going to listen to part of Underneath the Bottle. Some sympathy 
Okay, so I saw this coming up. Anybody who listens to our show would probably surmise that we are into the Velvet Underground and are all. I went back and reimmersed myself in Lou Reed when this was coming up. First real take, I think, of his solo stuff when I when we were coming through was the New York album. That was probably like '89, right? Something like that. Let me look. Uh, keep talking. I'll look it up. I think but it was it 89 was, or 90. But, I, I keep thinking it was the 90. Because the big song was like Dirty Boulevard. And yeah. I got my, I was like, oh man, this is the coolest shit. I so remember, I, kinda, I, I thought, I, I, I want to interject here because I thought you really took to that album. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot. I don't know what it was. Anytime I got the chance, I would pop into Lou Reed's catalog. I mean, I'd hear Walk on the Wild Side and all that stuff, but I really didn't go into full album mode. Right. You know? This one came out in 1989, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So I, but so when this was coming up, I did some do you know due diligence on this. This is his eleventh solo album. It's a it surprised me, Henry, when we started this one that the Blue Mask was his eleventh. Uh huh. I didn't put that together either. I guess I, as a Velvet Underground ground fan, I felt like everybody knows Transformer. Mm-hmm. Which is like to me a classic album. Mm-hmm. I think this one is thought of kind of as like a return to form for Lou. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just some background on it as well. I, d- I didn't know this. Uh, he had stopped drinking and doing drugs the year before he put this out. Mm-hmm. And I think that influenced Henry what he was doing here because this album is very stripped down. Mm-hmm. It's just four piece, two guitars, uh, bass, drums, and vocals. I, as far as I read, there was only one overdub. They only overdubbed one guitar track uh, on this whole record. Um, and then they overdubbed the vocals. But like the band playing together is all pretty much single track. I didn't know that. So it was like anybody, uh, uh, Robert Quine. Yeah. Okay. okay. So the other guitar player uh, on this is Robert <laughs> Quine, right? And it's not, it's, it's not enough to just say you have two guitars. Let's say you've got Robert Quine. Well, and, 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 and I think, Henry, and, and I know we can talk about Robert Quine in a minute and, and introduce everybody to him, but you, you know yeah. the other thing about this is I don't think it's fair to just say two guitar players and not mention Lou Reed. Mm. Uh, because he is, He's really underrated as a guitar player. Well, he kind of invented the uh, rhythm guitar sound yeah. that we all associate with yeah. indie rock because the Velvet Underground, he was the guitar player. Uh, he invented that whole thing. Yeah, I mean that whole sound is kind of him. So I thought that I thought they were cool playing off of each other. And 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 before you, Henry, I'll, I'll let you 
take the Robert Quine thing. I also thought it was interesting that they made a point when they mixed this album to put all of Robert Quine's guitar in one uh, mm-hmm. on the left and then to put Lou Reed's guitar on the right. So, like, if you're listening to it in headphones, it's definitely separated, which I thought yep, was, a, yep. was a cool way of saying, hey, look, we got two guitar masters. Check this shit. And two different, and two different personalities. Right, 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 could, right. That but you who, could lean on. That but, you could lean on to one way or the other one. Right. And, but who is Robert Quine to us? Uh, so, uh, you know, we listened to Matthew Sweet a whole lot when we were younger. He was like the guitar guy, indie rock guitar gun guy of choice. Yes. That's, know? yeah. Like he has played with the Voidoids, Lloyd Cole. He played right. with some Brian Eno. He did a lot of, with Matthew Sweet, which you said. The thing that I liked about the, this record was that he spoke of things that sometimes people could see as mundane, but I could see that he see, saw it as a respite from somewhat of a chaotic existence that he had had before. So kind of relaxing into a uh, a more, if not happy, at least content time in his life. Yeah, and it's interesting, Henry, because I think we, we talked about this on some former episodes. We're in that point in the 80s where a lot of the people that invented rock or the mm-hmm. 70s version of rock are now coming to grips with and trying to grapple with how do I keep up with this new wave thing and you know, we've already reviewed records by Paul McCartney and the Kinks mm-hmm. and the Rolling Stones and Pete Townsend and the Who, all trying to come to terms with this and keep up. I feel like Lou came out of his stupor of alcohol and drugs and was like, keep up. Fuck, I'm just doing like I'm just be, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to scale it back and just be Lou Reed. And to me, it sounds super refreshing and more like. Ah, he made it. He figured out a way to do the 80s, and he did it his own way. Well, also, it's helpful because Lou's delivery has never been completely dramatic. You can feel free to absorb the song, and it's not schmaltzy, and it's not off-putting. Like, some people could sing these songs, and it would be like cornball and make you feel, you know, like, inauthentic. He has earned the right to say cornball shit because it's credible. Well, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people, when I was reading the, I've started reading the Anthony DeCurtis book, and he said, you know, the thing about Lou Reed was, whether it was true or not, you thought every song, every song Lou Reed wrote was in first person, was like about Lou Reed. And second of all, it was like the news from the streets. Like, here's the real, here's what's really going on right now in the streets of New York. This is not the New York Times. This is... The New York Times, you know what I mean? Like, this is the Times going on. So um, I get that feeling, too. And, Henry, all of these songs are refreshingly like, whoa, this guy's just telling straight. There's no filter. Right. Even, you know, I'm sober now, and, you know, the song we just heard is all about, like, crushing your creativity with drunkenness. (laughs) Right, right. And, And, you know, we talk about the dual guitar things, you know, his lyrical stuff and Robert Quine left and right. I was worried at first because I've never been like a big fan of like noodly bass players. I always think they're going to go, or this like this is going to going to suck or something. But no, this guy, I think his name is Fernando something. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. It, his name is Fernando Saunders. Okay, yeah, he plays like a champ. I mean, the guy was a pro, but was competent, and he was in the pocket all the time, and he kept the song moving without being too like distracting. Well, and I think, and I think that's part of like what's makes this album great is he picked musicians who 
were all great. And if you listen to what they're doing, it's great. But nobody was like overplaying or doing more than was needed for the song. I, I don't think you could say that lyrically it was his best album, but that's like, that's trying to judge a dude that wrote Perfect Day. I mean, yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, and also, you, like, when I'm I, in no position to do that, <laughs> you know? Right, but also when you look back and you're like, you're saying, but the, the songs, there are songs on this album like Woman, The Gun, Underneath mm-hmm. the Bottle, and you're like, uh, they're better than most everybody else's songs so yeah like how you have to you judge them on par with the rest of their stuff it's goddamn quality album and i think anybody should listen to it yeah i'm gonna recommend it and i also may go a step further than henry because i think listening back to everything from his solo career right now i believe this is my second favorite behind transformer i really like yeah transformer's got to be the best right yes and i and i and i again i have to qualify with berlin being great but it's not my favorite to listen to i like this one better transformer berlin and the blue mask is what it what it is for me there it is followed by followed by new york but that's really for nostalgic reasons Let's move on, Henry. The next album that we are going to review is by Nick Lowe. The album is called Nick the Knife, and this song is called Heart. That may be my favorite one minute, if we played a whole minute, of that album mm-hmm. right there. Um, I think I liked that one a little bit because it didn't come off just straight up bar band, mm-hmm. 60s rehash that I feel like Nick Lowe is enamored with. Uh, he came out of the band Rock Pile, which we reviewed, I guess, last year. And I, yeah, we both, we both didn't like it. Yeah, and I think there was this whole like early '60s revival going on in the early '80s. There was a whole crew of people doing that. Maybe Stray Cats were a bit of that too, and that Nicolo was at the forefront of. That I just didn't really get. Um, I've always said that my favorite part of Nicolo or what Nicolo's done is uh, producing Elvis Costello, which I <laughs> who I like infinitely better than Nicolo. But I, there are Henry a lot of Nicolo fans out there, and I'm I'm sure this. Would upset them, but I still can't figure out. I, I don't dis. I think he's a good songcraft. I think he makes decent material. I just can't find anything that to latch on to to make me go yes. You know, I found that this album was it was constrained to your point by convention. Is for all this you, I've always found Nick Lowe to be a little silly. In all fairness, like even that song that he wrote that Elvis Costello made popular was very 
was funny in a snarky kind of way, right? What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Right? Yeah, and I, I definitely, I wrote in my notes, there's a playfulness and a humor mm. on this album that I actually made me like it a little bit better than Rock Pile because I thought Rock Pile was a little bit more just straight up, almost like mm-hmm. a 60s cover band. But yeah, I don't know that it, I don't know that the humor makes me. That, yeah, like here's the problem. Like I don't, I always, I ignored the, the silliness in all fairness, because I saw it as some kind of like deflection from his, his real emotions or something. Okay. And, and I sort of wink and nodded with it. But when I'm forced to go into the album, I realized that, okay, Niccolo wrote solid songs. They are certainly better than, than what was seen in rock. There was some in, in rock pile. There was some interesting production turns in the beginning, like, those little isolated pull-ups in the, in the song, you know, and there was some instrumental weirdness that kind of keeps you in the game, but you have to be bought into that whole thing that the leaning into like a classic sort of fifties basic setups with these eighties new wave flourishes in there. And I'm in it for the new sounds. I'm not in it for that fifties era so much. So I'm always going to be left a little wanting, I think. I just think it's just not our jam. That's all. Well, that's part of that's bad. part of it. Yeah, I keep saying that uh, that there are people that love Nick Lowe, and maybe it, I just missed the boat on this. I feel like there's two <laughs> things that we've covered so far that I've missed the boat on, and that's the Ramones and Nick Lowe. I don't really get. Some, yeah, one. some things, some things where you can uh, admire them sort of on a craft level, and then but they don't really hit hit you in an emotional place. Nick you know? Lowe is somebody that I said on the last uh, recording that we, I should introduce my dad to. Yeah. <laughs> and I did introduce my dad to it and he thought it was, really, like, he thought it was really cool. So there, did it, whatever we say about Nick Lowe, the guy was fucking cool. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, and I have to say Nick Lowe now is one of the coolest, however old uh-huh. he is guys. He's like done. He's aged very well and he's, I know he's, cool. he wears it really well. Yeah, so you're almost like I wish I liked this better because he's so cool now, but um, I just yeah, can't. Yeah. I can't recommend it. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Yeah, respectful thumbs down. A respectful observer to the live stuff. I think I would love seeing him play live. Uh, anyway, much love, Nicklo. Not not the big fan of this one though. Yeah, and Henry, just to recap uh, before you introduce the next record, this one fell under uh, stuff we like. The Lou Reed mm-hmm. album was a Rolling Stone five-star album. The Haircut 100 was not. Uh, it was one that we felt like we needed to cover. We were That we were supposed to like it, but we hated it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so the next one is a Rolling Stone five-star album. And Henry, what is it? The next one is, this is by a guy that we all know and love, Willie Nelson. Always On My Mind is the name of the record. And we're going to play the title song, Always On My Mind. Maybe I didn't love you Quite as often as I could have And maybe I didn't treat you Quite as good as I should have If I made you feel second best Sorry, I was blind. You were always. 
voice Henry when, when we were younger or even now if somebody asked me to imitate Willie Nelson it's always going to be maybe I that is the thing do it again it de- maybe I <laughs> it kind of got a little Sammy Davis Jr. Going. maybe I <laughs> anyway uh, the problem with that is I thought this whole time that he wrote that song no. And so, and then when not. I found out that he didn't, it kind of pissed me off. Yeah. So, well, first of all, that's not Willie's fault because this is a. <laughs> I know it's not. This is a covers LP by Willie Nelson with a purpose. This is a bunch of pop, rock, and R and B standards that Willie did. And at the time, now we kind of just think of him as Willie, but uh, I think it really opened up some people's eyes to how close country music could be to those other formats and maybe just a little bit, Henry in a bad way, it ushered in the, the movement of country over into crossover land. Like which, pop country. Well, which is just pop music with a twangy voice. But I do think it shocked a lot of people at the time. And it kind of shocked me going back and listening to it because Willie Nelson has no trouble reinterpreting these songs. It reminded me a lot, Henry of the Johnny cash albums that we loved in the nineties with Rick Rubin, where Johnny Cash was doing a bunch of what we thought were contemporary awesome tunes. Some of them turned out to be shitty grunge tunes, but um, and and reinterpreted them in Johnny Cash style, and that turned out great, too. I see this as the same kind of thing uh, for me. And, I, again, I'm a, I just melt. I think Willie Nelson has maybe the best voice in... American popular music. So when I hear his voice, it's just like, damn, that dude. uh, It was a mild curiosity, I think, with the Simon and Garfunkel song. Right. Uh, I liked it. I liked Bridge Over Troubled Water. I liked Always On My Mind. But I do think there's some interesting things about this record, Henry. And the reason I wanted to cover it was because I remember this record being huge at the time. Yeah. Um, I think he was also in a movie right around this so I got a big face full of Willie Nelson during, around this time period. He was super hot. I always loved Willie Nelson as an actor, by the way. But, Henry, this album was the number one country album of 1982, and it was the number one country album on the charts for nine months. So this album is like the thriller Damn. of country music. It wasn't just... And it's not really a country record, I wouldn't say. I mean, it's sort of country, but... Uh, it was another reason why I thought we needed to cover it, because sometimes I think we overlooked how big an album was at that time because we weren't big country fans. You know what I mean? 
But a lot of people, mm-hmm. this was a big cultural touchstone for the 80s. Honey, so he was in something called Honeysuckle Rose. Honeysuckle Rose, sorry. That was the one I was yeah. thinking of. Honeysuckle Rose, yeah. So, With Amy Irving. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good movie. I'm surprised I you haven't seen, seen that. that one. Yeah, it was pretty good. He was, he was good in that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, I'm not going to give this album a thumbs up, I guess, because of my bias against cover records. But if... If I was going to give a cover record a thumbs up, I would give give it to Willie. I'm not a not an enormous fan. I see it for what it was, but I'm not. It just seems kind of cloying and trying to score a hit sometimes. I'm, I'm more a fan of him as a songwriter than doing this kind of stuff. All right, let's move on, Henry, to our last album. It is by a band called XTC. The album is called English Settlement, and the song I'm going to play is called Senses Working Overtime. That's right. What was your reasoning behind that? I, I just love that song, man. It's, <laughs> it should have been a hit, and it wasn't. And I really I want to give it every chance it's got for people to hear it. You know, every time I listen to it, especially with headphones, I'm like, how the fuck was that not a hit? I don't know. Every time I listen to XTC, they always make me feel smarter than I am. <laughs> just for listening. Just for listening. Yeah, just for, yeah. And then I start questioning why the hell I don't listen to these records more and more, like all the time. Because every time I hear it, I'm like, hell yeah, this was good. I feel like you know? one day uh, after we're done with the whole, all of the 80s, we should compile a list of the bands that we, every time we hear, we're like, why, did, why don't we listen to that more? And maybe yeah. do a show just based on those albums. Because I got the same feeling. I like, I listened to English Settlement and I was like, damn, this is a good record. Why don't I listen to it more? Why didn't I listen to it more? Yeah, but then you probably said the same thing about Black Sea. Like, why didn't we listen to Black Sea more? <laughs> I think every time I listen to uh, an XTC <laughs> album, I think that. So, and so it, I developed a theory. Something about XTC does not inspire full dedication or love, and I don't know why. It's more like lofty respect. You I, know? I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I just can't put my finger on what it is. I, the reason why, and I'm not totally sure of this, feel free to shoot this down, but I think it's because content-wise, they can they can be a little exhausting to consume. 
It's almost yeah, like, like they're leaving me behind in some way. Like I'm looking at like uh, this song, for example, it's mercurial, right? In some way, like I'm trying to understand what it's about. It's probably about some historic event or, or, <laughs> or you know, something like that, that I don't know about, that I haven't done the research for, but that I love the sound of, but the, and the words go together great. It's just, it's probably about something I don't know about. Well, just to put some context on this one, Henry, because you said you felt like this one should be a hit. At this point, after Black Sea, XTC was, they were primed to be big. So they had just finished a tour with the police where they were opening for the mm-hmm. police. Um, English settlement, although I, I, I learned doing my research that the record company really pushed them to make a really tight, their go for it album for pop mm-hmm. success. And of course, that pissed off Andy Partridge, and he made a double album. That when he started it, he said they were trying to make Sergeant Pepper. But to me, it still has songs on it that that could have made them big. The problem was Andy Partridge completely melted down right before they started a big U.S. tour, right? Mm-hmm. With yeah. with English Settlement, that tour probably would have made them have it. We would have thought of them in a different light, I think, than, than the way we do. You think? Well, and 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 Andy Partridge was never able to, able to tour after this breakdown he had. So I think it kind of their band kind of hit a brick wall, or or a, a, let's say a glass ceiling after this because they put out some great records further on later on, but they mm-hmm. never could tour behind it. And it wasn't like where you've got the internet now, kids, where you can just put albums out and everyone can you, hear. You them. had to work an album back then. If you wanted to be the police, you had to you had to work it. Yeah, yeah. and you I, had to work it. It was interesting though, Henry. I found out just deep diving this. You know, it it totally caused a rupture in the band because, and I th- and I think you'd find this interesting too. Um, Andy Partridge was like, I don't know what the big deal is, guys. I seriously have a psychological problem. I can't tour, but we'll just make studio albums. And two of the guys were like, I don't get paid shit from mm-hmm. studio albums because you get all the songwriting royalties. So I'm not going to make anything helping you make records. So they quit. Rather than so rather than redo the contracts, they just quit. Well, I and that's the interesting thing. I don't think at the time anybody even thought to redo the contract because Andy Partridge was like, yeah, I write all the songs. Why would I give you the same amount of money or a quarter of the song? You know, I'm still writing all the songs. See, I heard that the, the reason why this was a double album was because he was trying to say that if they wrote records they couldn't tour, then that would be perfect. It's actually that, I, I, and that sounds like a good story, but it's not true because this album was actually no. done and they were already lined up to tour and they were actually in the States, in San Francisco, oh. and he was in the okay. hotel room and couldn't so, get out of the so hotel somebody room. Somebody told some bullshit there. Yeah, probably. I think that might have been more of a romantic mm-hmm. version. Um, if you know anything about Andy Partridge, uh, it seems totally reasonable to me that if anybody tried to tell him, okay, let's write a nice, tight, 10-song hit album not like the black sea because that one was cool but it wasn't going to get us over the top he would be like fuck you now I'm yeah do something a con- completely contrarian different. yeah always right. a contrarian i mean that, i mean this is the same guy that wrote dear god which is like right, an right. atheistic song and, and, know, and the and highest we, order so uh, we have to say that he never knew that he had 
stage fright, like bad stage fright before this because he was addicted to Valium from like the time he was 13 years old. Jesus. Uh, and his wife, he had gotten married <clears throat> around this time, got him off the Valium. And he totally had a psychological breakdown, um, even had amnesia when he had the, the big breakdown. He was in the hotel room and didn't know who he was or where he was and couldn't, couldn't figure that out. So it really was a serious problem for him. And I, and I, think, it, I think it totally changed what we would think of XTC. Now, this album on its own, Henry, I think is great. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's excellent. I mean, it's like a high, a, a very high quality album, and it's a double album. You can't. I mean, you couldn't. Um, <clears throat> they put together a, a bunch of songs that uh, that were great over the span of like an hour and ten or some shit like that. Right. Is that how long it is? Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, long. an hour and ten minutes for fuck's sake. And I got it's into sti- it. Uh, go ahead. Stylistically, it's kind of all over the map, but it's not incohesive. Like. It's not incohesive. No, and but all. it does meander a little bit, and it's got a little bit yeah. more of like a twelve string guitar type stuff. More, mm-hmm. um, well, but it's got this intellectual rigor to it. Right, that holds the whole damn thing together, and not in this like pretentious way that Pete Townsend tried to. It's almost like Pete Townsend tried to be XTC and just could not. And couldn't pull it off. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm definitely going to yeah. recommend this album. I think it's really good, and and again, it's one of those where I'm like. Damn, why didn't I listen to this more? I know, I know, and that's going to be the theme with XTC. I'm afraid, right? Um, big thumbs up. Always really enjoy it. Anybody who's listening to this should listen to XTC, there particularly you. this album. Yep, there you go. All right, let's find out what Megan's doing. Megan, we're back like deja vu to cover February of 1982 all over again. How are I you? I was just going to say, I'm getting a feeling of uh, deja vu here. If yeah. like we talk same. about these. Second verse, same as the first. I'm wondering, I, I'm wondering if you're going to ch- have changed your mind about these albums since we. Oh, no, 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 no. No, okay. <laughs> no. We didn't either. I was, I thought somebody might, but we did not. Um, no, thankfully it's not a total shit pile either. Right. <laughs> Like like what's going on in the real world right now? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Shit is fucked up. What are things like in Detroit now? Um, I mean, obviously there were, you know, protests. There were protests in Lansing, too. Um, There were protests in quite a few cities in Michigan, like everywhere else, it seems. So, I mean, I think it's good. I think it was kind of bound to happen. I mean, everybody is just, I think people are just pissed the fuck off. For a lot of different reasons. And I think it's just a culmination of all of that, like emotion, like the pandemic certainly didn't help. I mean, I know these issues have been around way longer, obviously, than the pandemic, but I think the additional stress that people have been under and they kind of have more time to like be aware of things. And we're already hyper aware because of like social media. Exactly. I, I, I agree. Which is a perfect segue into Haircut 100. <laughs> I don't know. No, the most it's not. like milk toast new wave. That's like, a great hey, description. Hey, Say that hey, again. Milk toast new wave. There's no <laughs> flavor right. at all. That's right. That's a real word. 
Yeah, you heard it here baby. You heard it here first, Megan. We are gonna bring, we're gonna make a T-shirt for the podcast oh. that says "Milk Toast New Wave." I love it. All right, well, I, I've always wanted to like them more than I ever because I've tried listening to them before because they always somehow end up like on you know like top new wave artists of the '80s or like you know kind of these forgotten gems of that. Uh, genre of music in that time and anytime I've ever been like listening to them I'm just really underwhelmed most of the time it's like I'd rather just listen to like an actual like a good new wave band you know I totally agree (laughs) I was totally disappointed by this because I didn't really know them and I was like oh no I don't Mm. Um, how how about the Lou Reed album the blue mask we both like that one oh I love this album this is like one of my favorite uh obvious obviously Lou Reed albums, but I'd say this is probably one of like my favorite albums period. Like it's just really, really good. And it, I think some people have a tendency to think that Lou Reed is kind of like, he was a little overrated, you know, everybody views him as like this avant-garde, like artsy kind of um, musician, but I really, this album is just so well-written and I just think that it's just really beautiful. You can't even tell like what time era it really came out Mm -hmm. in. Right. Right. Yep. How about um, Nick the Knife by Nick Lowe? I just don't care about Nick Lowe. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> have you been, have you been listening to us talk? Hi, everybody. I know I should like him. Why like, I know. Like Nick Lowe? He's no. a great guy. I don't mind hell? him. I don't mind him as a person. I'm sure he's fine, but I just have Why? never gotten into like the music. I just don't care. You have the you have the musical taste for the eighties of two forty year old white men. Yeah, by the way, what's up with that? What? Yeah, I don't think that's really done me very many favors in life, but <laughs> yeah. that's that's the hand I've been dealt with. I so. hear you. <laughs> Let's see what you th- what did you think about "Always on My Mind" by Willie Nelson? We both uh, thought I thought it was okay, but not enough to recommend. And Henry was uh, thumbs down. Meh. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I haven't listened to a ton of Willie Nelson, so I kind of feel like I can't be like super critical of it. And plus, like that's not my typical go-to genre. Um, I think I mentioned this the last time we recorded, but it just always makes me think of that ASPCA commercial because oh, right, like right, they use right. that song. So, and it's just like kind of a bummer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to have your music really associated with that commercial. With, I don't think so. No. The final album we covered is XTC's English Settlement, and we both overwhelmingly loved it. Yeah, no, it's anytime I listen to XTC, I always enjoy it. I just don't have a tendency to listen to them very often, and I'm not sure why. We, <laughs> we just spent 10 minutes analyzing the same thing, so you're right in tune with like, us. I like them, but I always forget about them. I feel like the people who are super into XTC might be kind of pretentious assholes. Yeah, it's yeah, like, maybe. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like maybe you're casting your lot with the pretentious jerk. Well, it's like, the, it's like one of those bands that you mention if you want to be the guy that like throws down the like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about XTC. That guy's fucking cool. So, but uh, I like them. I mean, like this album is really good. I would definitely recommend it. But yeah, I just don't ever really listen to them. Ugh, speaking of like older bands, so my uh, the Craftwork tour got canceled. Oh, I the saw course. that. I saw that. Yeah, 
I know. I mean, so I think it's only like one original member, so it's not real craft work anyway. But like, I feel like craft work is kind of the band. Like, you don't really need the original lineup necessarily fully. And I was excited. I mean, they've been around forever, like 70s, probably like mid to late 70s, maybe even earlier than that. And this was kind of, I was thinking probably this is going to be my last opportunity to right, see them. And right. now it's canceled. So I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, keep hope alive and hope because I'm worried. Well, I'm not going to get into it. I feel like this vaccine, I hope the vaccine thing doesn't turn out to be seasonal. Like the way the um, flu there might is. never be a vaccine. That's not, right. Not That's to be that Wait person, Wait but <laughs> you're worse than I'm just me. Saying. Yeah. Well, on that note, tell people how wow. they can get in touch with you, Megan. I mean, I'm not a doctor. Don't you know? You don't have to believe me, but I'm just saying. Like, look, look at the flu. I mean, there's a there's a flu shot, but it doesn't. That's my point. That's my point. That, that, everyone all the time. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's my point. Like. I, Germs, man. They've been around the whole goddamn time. Germs and viruses. What are you going to do? <laughs> Just don't be a dum-dum about it. There you go. Don't be a dum-dum. <laughs> Listen to Milk Toast New Wave. <laughs> no, I would not recommend that. <laughs> All right. Give them, give them your stuff. So, well, for the pod... You can follow us at 80s Exposed or 80s Sex Posed, whatever, on Twitter, um, <laughs> at 80s374 on Instagram, and then 80s Music Exposed on Facebook. And then if you want to follow, uh, follow me on my personal stuff, um, it's at Bastards of Young 92 on Instagram, and then Megan Maddox on Facebook. Excellent. So. You're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Yeah, sounds good. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, take care. You too. Yeah, so uh, Megan's gone, and I thought her uh, opinions were eerily right in line with ours, Henry. That's that's why she contacted us after all. Like she, these guys think about the world the way that we do, <laughs> the way that I do is what she thought. That's <clears throat> kind of weird. Uh, um, so yeah, Henry, let's. Uh, this is the time of the episode when we both give our pick of the episode. I'm going to give you first crack. First crack. I am going to pick Lou Reed's "The Blue Mask" nice. because it reopened my eyes and made me look at some some other parts of this catalog. And uh, was probably the the biggest joy of the whole thing. Excellent. That leaves open for me to take XTC's English Settlement, an album that I think is wonderful and also very exemplary of the 80s. So I would have picked it over the Lou Reed album just for that, even though I think the Lou Reed album is like a classic record. Um, XTC is more of, quote unquote, an 80s sound, I guess. So um, that's going to be my pick. Excellent. You could do far worse than XTC, by God. Or Lou Reed, motherfucker. <laughs> or Lou Reed. You could listen to Pelican West by Haircut 100. Don't do Don't that. Don't do that. That was a joke. Don't, Don't waste your time with that. <laughs> For sure. For God's sake. If you like our show or you like the records we're choosing, what should they do? I know what they ought to do. I'm they glad. ought to rate and review us on iTunes. Woo-hoo. That's what they ought to I'm do. I'm glad you're saying all this, Henry, because I don't have show notes in front of me. So go, kid, go. And also, by the way, folks, you can also listen on Spotify and Stitcher and share the hell out of it. You could share it with your friends. What else Fuck, are you going to do? Share it with do? your enemies. Share it with people you don't like. 
You got time. I mean, Do it. Yeah, you got time. You could chat us up on Twitter. Or you'll probably be talking to uh, to Megan, but fucking do it. It's at 80s Exposed or at 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. Blow us the fuck up. We got time. Blow us up. Chris's Twitter handle is at TCI Duke. My Twitter handle is at Hank G. That's H-A-N-K-G-E-E. And if you want to find us on Patreon... Yeah, find us. Throw us a bone or two. We got to keep the lights on around here. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell you, folks. I like how your ending <laughs> just got angrier and angrier till you just worked yourself up into I, a I'm scream. I'm just spitting it out. I'm just spitting it out. There's a lot going on these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're able to get it all out, Henry. And uh, we will join you, folks, next time for uh, an album or a whole episode about one album, and that album is The Message. My Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Did I get that right? That's right. Okay, I can't wait to cover that. And Henry, I will talk to you next week, I guess. All right, Chris, guess what? What, Henry? I made you a mixtape. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>